Well, now we're going to look at one of the most important issues that has come about due to the pandemic, which is schools. And are schools safe? Can they be open? And if so, if they are not safe, what can be done to make them safe? Now, this is fundamentally a problem that architects can solve or can at least address. They may not be able to solve it completely. <clears throat> and I'm very pleased to welcome Chris Bryant, who's director of the Architects' Almanac, uh, to uh, talk about a piece of work that he and his firm have been working on called Simple Solutions for Safer Schools. And he's going to outline that and, and, and what methods and what uh, approaches can be taken. Uh, and we also will have some comments from Melanie Mortimer, who is the head of design technology at one of the schools which participated in the study that Chris has put together uh, called Dulwich Prep. Uh, in South London. So, Chris, do you want to take this away? Thanks very much. Sometimes necessity really is the mother of invention. What if the long term, what if in the long term, this pandemic became known as a critical instigator of change in the way we design schools for the better? And what if the way that we have dealt with the problem is the shining example of our adaptability, resourceful and ingenuity. My name's Chris, and I'm a director at Almanac and also a visiting lecturer at the University of Westminster. And it's great here to have the opportunity to present to a worldwide audience, especially as our work is so local to us. 95% of all our projects are within 45 minute cycle of the office. And this one is no different. Today, I'm going to talk about some of the work we've been doing in a number of schools in London that brought together ideas of dealing with COVID restrictions and then some of the le lessons that we've learned that might influence design of the future. I'm very glad that Melanie's been able to join us, the design technology teacher from Dulwich Prep London. It's a, it's a school and um, a Melanie herself, someone we've had a, a relationship for a, for a long time. Um, and it's great to be able to get her views on this as well. I'm going to quickly outline how we came to this project and what lessons we may have learned from it. And then the three of us will be able to have a discussion. At Almanac, we're huge advocates of participatory design. And we strongly believe that through proper participation, you can harness expertise and create collective ownership of projects. If you go to our website, you'll see a page dedicated to the work that we do in this area. And we're always interested to hear from others and, and people's own experiences across the world. Like many of our projects, Safer Schools Manual, origin is serendipitous. For a year before the pandemic, we'd been working on this project, the Dulwich Picture Gallery Planters Project. The Colour Palace, a temporary pavilion designed by Price Gore Architects and Yinka Ilori, at the Dulwich Picture Gallery was due to be taken down. And we'd received a call from one of the team that helped to manufacture this to see if we knew anyone who could do anything interesting with the material that was both in keeping with the original premise of sustainability and reuse. At the same time, and totally unconnected, we were working with Melanie and her students at Dulwich Prep on ideas of how to add greenery to their school. They wanted to create modular planters. And all of a sudden, we had all of this material. 
here they are creating some of those modular planters in the classroom with um, two, two of the members of Almanac there. And this is one of the early prototypes. Now, all the material that we had didn't just allow for planters at Dulwich Prep London, it actually allowed for 200 planters. And so with the help of Dulwich Picture Gallery, we contacted all the local schools and see if they too wanted to create planters with their pupils and add greenery to their school grounds. We, so we came up with a manual that could be easily followed and that different schools, depending on the age groups, could, could either have the wood pre-cut or they could uh, cut it themselves. And the idea right on our doorstep in South London would be that this colour pavilion that had been at Dulwich Pitch Gallery would be distributed across the local area and literally green the, the other schools. So, so just as this was happening, I think my slides might be uh, not going through. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, great, thank you. Um, so just as this happening, the COVID struck. And so the workshop that we had planned when all the schools were going to come together and that we were going to distribute this material for all of these planters was paused. And the, the scheme had to be put on hold. But we developed really strong relationships with the school and it became apparent that the pandemic would continue for a long time. And schools going to have to cope with incredibly challenging circumstances. We thought that there might be a way of utilising this network and providing some help. We contacted all the schools late in late spring and talked to them about our idea. We wanted to understand what schools were doing to allow pupils for key workers onto the site and how they would bring more pupils back in September in a safe environment. We thought we might be able to add to these ideas, but more, most importantly, create a document that shared these ideas in a positive and easy to read way. This could then be distributed more widely. Next slide, please. Next slide. Thanks. Unsurprisingly, all the schools were in a firefighting mode and incredibly busy, but eight agreed to be part of this. And so we interviewed them and managed to even visit some. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. As you can see from, as you can see, the schools were very different. There was different age ranges, both primary and secondary. Some were state, some were private. They were in different, different scales, uh, different types of grounds, all with different challenges. Next slide, please. We found that staff had come up with ways of reorganizing space, keeping equipment safe, changing circulation, and utilizing outdoor space. We took these ideas and developed them into a manual. Next slide, please. The restrictions for COVID from the government were fluid and they were changing. So we made sure that we were on top of these and we kept them, kept our, um, document up to date with these, but trying to give it back to the schools in a more, in an easy to read way that could easily be digested and easily communicated with both parents and staff. There were a number of challenges. Parents were no longer allowed into the school and therefore those crucial moments of contact were lost. So the school gate had to become the notice board 
the place for sharing, the place for meeting, the place for talking. It became the, the gateway literally into the school, both physically, but also in terms of information. Next slide, please. To teach younger children about social distancing, one school came up with the idea of social wings that would get across the message of this two metre rule that, that suddenly everybody was having to adhere to. Next slide, please. To, en to enable effective bubbling and social distancing, schools needed to utilise any additional space they had. Outdoor space became very important, and we shared some ideas on how these spaces could be adapted. Next slide, please. To avoid the spread of COVID-19, it was important to keep personal belongings separated and avoid sharing equipment as much as possible. We looked at the importance of creating a familiar and personalised experience for the students and simple things like creating their own storage boxes, labelling their own equipment and creating their own classroom charters could help with that. Next slide please. We also looked at spatial solutions and how desks could be arranged within the classroom. Next slide please. We completed the manual in the summer and sent it out to all the schools. And we're beginning to collect feedback from those schools and pupils. Here is some, here is some feedback from the head teacher at Hollidale. Next slide, please. And here is some of the feedback that we've recently been getting from the pupils. So the schools have been able to use this in their different ways. Some have used it as a communication tool. Some have used it as a tool for staff or pupils or parents, some of you have implemented uh, many of the suggestions. And so this network has, in a sense, bonded together and given each other ideas. Next slide, please. It, it's also freely available to anybody who wants to download it. And, and we, anyone who would like to look at it, please go to the website www.almanac.com and request the download. We've had uh, interest from across the world, Indonesia, America, Taiwan, India, New Zealand, and we very much would be interested to share this and hear what anyone else had to think about it. Next slide, please. Part two of the manual looked at the, looked at the future of what we could possibly learn. We're right in the midst of this. We're in the second lockdown, even more difficult now for schools than ever before. But, and schools are still rightly trying to get through with what they're dealing with. But as we have these conversations, we can, we can see that the people are reflecting and we're reflecting too, on what are the positives that have come out of this? What can we learn from this very challenging time that might help us move forward and make school design even better? Next, next slide, please. So, this, is, um, this is the Hollydale School that we, we just had the feedback from and we did a, a quick design exercise to look at how, you know, how could you add to it? How could you adapt it? How could it be, become even better? Because we've learned some key things. We've learned the importance of well-being for both staff and students and the need to engage actively with that. We've learned about the adaptability of students and teachers, the importance of those incidental conversations in the non-classroom moments. We've learned about the inventiveness and ingenuity of pupils and staff. 
We've learned how positive outdoor learning can be and the huge benefits of that, about reconnecting with your surroundings. We've learned how crucial the school is as a linchpin of the community and how the school gate and the, and the, the meetings that go on there are a linchpin of that. Schools bring people together. They are a place of great, great creativity, great, great care and mixing. We've learned that different students excel in different types of environments. We've heard about students that have become even more confident when interacting via video. We've also learned though that video can work, but it's never gonna replace face-to-face. -face. All of this suggests that our schools can become even more heterogeneous, flexible, and adaptable to different types of learning and interaction. Next slide, please. And crucial to this, we believe, is getting as many people involved as early on in the design process. Pupils, staff at the school, teachers, head teachers, parents, all have expertise in parts of school life. We think it's hugely important that the design process which can lead to these more flexible, more adaptable, greater ownership of these schools is put in place. Next slide, please. That image that you just saw is from one of a number of workshops that we've been doing in South London for a new, um, a new school um, for pupils from age six to 12. And this is one of the images has come from it and it's now in planning. We held workshops with younger children, older children, different type, different staff, both technical staff and teaching staff. Next slide, please. It, following all of this and discussions with the pupils, it's going to be a net carbon zero building. It's going to possibly have the first, maybe not the first, but one of the first well-being buildings dedicated to well-being right in the middle of the school for the whole school. Next slide please. And it's also going to have an out a specific classroom dedicated to outdoor learning. This has come about through lots of quality conversations and, and activities with the pupils, with the, with the teachers, with the, with the other staff, um, to ask them really what, what, what they want, what, what do they think we can do and then we feed back to them and then the brief develops and there's a collective ownership over that brief. Next slide, please. We're convinced that even though we're coming through one of the most challenging times education has ever had, that out of this, we can really see positive changes in the way that we design schools. And that from this, we can see how school design can be even greater, even more flexible, even more adaptable, even more central to the community. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for a fascinating presentation of how schools can be retrofitted as well as conceived uh, to be not just safe for COVID, but as improved educational resources. And uh, as I understand it, you and Melanie have been working together uh, for, for some time, long before anyone had even heard of COVID. 
And I wonder, Melanie, if you could say outline mm -hmm. how you first started working with, with Chris and what that relationship has brought to the education that you can offer to your students. Yes, sure. Um, thank you for the question. Um, well, actually, what Chris was saying about serendipity actually did happen with us as well, because they were architects in residence at the school down the road. Um, and we were invited to their private view, me and the head of art. Um, and we were just having a conversation about participatory design. And it just so happened that every day as I walked through the school gates, I walked across a playground that was quite um it was a little bit grim and needed some enlivening so i thought it'd be a great project for our year sevens to tackle um and the next morning actually adam shapland from almanac phoned up and said they'd be very interested in um in collaborating with us on that speculative project um so it gave the boys a huge opportunity to work with industry professionals because they work so differently to teachers um, and it was a real collaboration because the boys would come up with designs and then the architects would go away and give them relevant research ideas to look at. And then the boys would make sketch models and Almanac would put it into their CAD machine and create a scale drawing that we could then make um, an accurate model from. So it was it was such a rich experience for both, I think. I think you know, we'll, we'll ask Chris in a minute what his experience was of the collaboration. Um, but I think our boys got a huge amount of, um, of pride and involvement and feeling that they could do so many different skills, um, guided by somebody that was outside their, you know, normal environment. Um, and that was what was, it was great to do, to finish with the scale model, but it felt like we could actually get them to have even more agency once that project was finished. And for as long as I've been, um, certainly when I started studying architecture, <clears throat> which is quite a long time ago now, there was a very big um, sense that architecture should somehow work its way into the, the national curriculum for schools in Britain, um, which was being developed in the mid and late 1980s. <clears throat> and what I think, Chris, you're doing is actually achieving that, that you are sharing not just how architecture can be, as it were, a sort of servant to the operation of a school at the level of providing spaces and buildings and whatever, but also uh, can be part of a way of infusing uh, the students with ideas about architecture and indeed getting them to think about architecture. Have you in the work that you've done, Chris, come across any budding architects among the pupils you're working with who, on the whole, are quite young? It's a, it's a good question. Um, we've definitely, uh, what, we, what we do find is that, because um, we've done uh, things at a number of schools, we, we find people are really interested in design. We find that 12-year-olds, um, for example, can read a plan better than most adults I know. They understand space. Um, I think what they like often is that there's this, is that it's cross disciplines. Um, and and we, 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 older students, we've definitely found budding architects because we have them in for work experience. Um, and I think the younger students, um, you know, they've taken to it with great vigor. Um, you know, for a lot of them, they see it as playing uh, with, you know, with space and with, 
materials and for them you know and, and that's hugely enjoyable for them yes and i i suppose one of the things that uh, comes out here is the uh, fostering for the pupils or the students of a different way of working and again melanie you touched on it but could you expand a little bit on what it is that professionals like architects do differently to teachers and what do the pupils get from from that experience um yes to start with um one example of that was actually um when we were starting to talk about the planter project um it was tristan and adam that said let's make them really site specific um, so what might you need in this space um, and what might you put there? And that was really fascinating for the boys. It was an angle that I actually, despite architectural training myself, hadn't thought would be a really relevant starting point because the boys were real experts at the playground space and they knew from, you know, from years of using it um, where boys went to be quiet, where it was really, really busy. Um, you know, they even knew where the rainfall and where the drips were. Um, so, um, and they also were, got really excited about talking to the cookery teacher about what kind of herb she'd like at what time of year. Um, so it's, it's solving real practical problems and actually making a difference you know that they felt enormous pride in once the once the planters were finished and then on site um that the school could benefit from that and they could get feedback from the people using it and the people the visitors etc um and there was one boy for example that that said i i want to take charge of choosing the plants because I'm really interested in botany. Um, and then his friend said, well, you choose them and I'd really like to phone up the garden centers and see if we can get a discount. So um, it's those kind of experience with experiences, which I think will really prepare them. Um, it's the soft skills, but it's, you know, it's, it's merging the practical skills with real life examples as well and being able to use their imagination in an extraordinary way but make collective decisions which is pretty tough i think and and all of this as you say is very useful for life skills because on the mm. whole these boys are quite young aren't they 11 12 that mm. that sort mm. of age that's right mm. so um what what you're doing is reaching beyond the the confines of a normal uh, educational curriculum and actually giving them something which can both infuse them. So, so the, the, the boy who had an interest in botany could indulge that in a way that perhaps working through the normal curriculum might have been able to you know, grow something in a biology class, but would not on the whole have been able to develop a specific interest in the practicalities of growing plants, nor would necessarily the boy who wanted to go to the local um, a nursery and negotiate the price, being able to develop commercial skills. So all of That's this, right. I think, is showing how one can use the modifications to the built environment as a way of enriching not just the purely educational, but the whole experience of being at school. Mm -hmm. mm. um, yes, and the next 
the next group that are working now on the planters um, have adapted them to the COVID situation in the playground because now we have to have uh, bubble, bubble separations. So we're thinking rather than just being plants to enjoy, they could actually be sort of reminders in the playground that it's not just about being separate, but it also could be something quite joyful. And this group have actually taken it a step further and are taking control of the whole um, design process. So they're deciding what should go on the ground and how we could add the bunting, etc., based on some of the safer school um, tips in the booklet. So it's much more than just putting um, strips of tape on the ground and saying you have to stand on this side of the line, you can't cross it. It's actually making that line into something much more enjoyable and possibly even educational as well, I guess. Mm. Mm. And we did have a conversation actually um, just last week with one of the year three teachers who said, I'd be delighted if you would focus on that playground because um, the boys don't have anything to play with at the moment and they're getting a bit bored. So she was saying, can you now use the planters for marble runs and sand pits and, um, you know, and, and garages for the, and, and places to hide. So that's, you know, it's opening up all sorts of options for them. Hmm. Yes, I think this is extremely interesting because it's about, you know, making the, the whole uh, sort of uh, environment of the school really work. Because one of the things that strikes me about schools in general is that they're either over-resourced in the sense that if you give them a swimming pool, uh, extensive playing fields, a gymnasium, um, that's great for the school, it's great for the, for the students who, who are there. Um, but they're only used generally five days a week and maybe only for 40 or so weeks in the year. So there's a lot of time when those quite expensive pieces of uh, equipment or facilities are uh, idle. And what you're doing is looking at how even the most simple things like a planter or a piece of uh, furniture that you put into the playground uh, can do more than one, two or even three things. It can actually be uh, an, an overall enhancement to the entire experience. I think that's uh, a fascinating point. Mm. And Perhaps, the boys Chris, themselves, you could say a bit more sorry, about how that, how that works in, in, mm. in design terms and how you come to conceive it and deliver it. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think it's interesting. And, you know, it's great when we hear about things that we've seeded becoming all of these other things and taking on a life of their own. You know, and I think that's the, that is the power of of what we do as designers you know if we can do something small that has a great effect i think we're, we're achieving a lot i think it's interesting when you talk about the, the resource in schools um and that this pandemic has made us aware of the importance of schools in the community for a lot of people um their trip to the school is the only trip they're probably having outdoors at the moment they might be going to the shop as well but it's one of the you know it might be the only chance they get to see people um, the project that I was talking about in South London, where we're creating this well-being pavilion, crucial to that well-being pavilion is that it can be used um, until 11 at night, 52 weeks of the year, seven days a week. Um, and and it, we, we've arranged it so that the way, you know, down to how the entrances work and, the, and how the security works, that that can be used so that this doesn't just become a well-being pavilion for the school, 
um, which is, you know, in a sense, having a well-being pavilion for a school is very generous. Um, almost, you could say was overly generous in a sense, but because it then becomes also for the community and other schools to come and use, then that resource is being used to its full extent. Um, and it, I think a lot of what the work we do, we're always interested in how you can, whatever you can do, how can you maximise its gain with, with, a minim, with a minimum resource? Yes, and I, I think this is something that reaches uh, beyond COVID because uh, one hopes, and it now seems reasonably likely, that within the course of the next year, um, vaccines will will uh, cause COVID to retreat as a as a threat to our ways of life and our normal uh, going about our daily uh, business. But one of the things that, that that you're raising here is how by these quite modest. Uh, adjustments to how schools uh, uh, work and, and, and the sort of equipment they might have in them, uh, they can become real community hubs. And you, know, you, may, you, you may develop the idea of the gate as the notice board or as the place of social interaction. Obviously, we all know um, that uh, school playgrounds become congregating places for uh, parents when they come to pick up their kids in the afternoon or to drop them off in the morning, and there's a lot of social interaction that goes on around that. Now, if there are ways that you can somehow facilitate that social interaction and give it some sort of focus and possibly bring it, offer opportunities to benefit from it, um, just as you're offering opportunities for the educational process to be improved, I think that becomes an extremely interesting thing. And of course, then becomes perhaps a, an argument and maybe a justification for spending greater resources on schools, which I think, in general, have been quite starved of uh, resources in the last few years. Yes, uh, and I, again, I think that's a, like you say, I think that's a positive that will come out of this is is understanding the importance um, of spending money in schools and resource. And and I think you're completely right. But one way of doing that is saying this isn't just for pupils. This is a resource for everybody, um, and everybody's got. You know, we all need education to work. That's we're reliant on the next generation. Um, so it, it helps all of us if we have positive environments for both learning for the community. Um, and I think that I think that will. And I think also, um, you know, this idea of well-being and these different types of spaces for learning. Again, it will give more facilities to the community. So rather than just saying, oh, school hall and eight classrooms, all of a sudden we might have a school hall, an outside classroom, a garden hut, you know, a cookery, a cookery pavilion. They don't have to be expensive, flashy things. Um, they just have to be well-organized, well-arranged uh, and, and inviting with, with the infrastructure behind it to allow that to happen. Yes, and I well remember from my uh, school days quite a long time ago now uh, that if uh, the weather was good and we could go outside, it added enormously to the um, experience of education. And, and, and one has to say that most teachers, particularly the really good ones, could adapt the way they taught to being outside in a way that made being outside really enjoyable and, and, and pleasurable. Now, I think if one can extend that into saying, well, it's not just the lesson, it's the way you interact with your friends through the playground, the way you might interact with your parents and your friends' parents and your parents' friends who 
all congregate there. It makes the school, I think, what it should be, and in many cases aspires to be, uh, which is a real uh, community hub. But I, I think, um, I wonder, Melanie, if you could say something about how the uh, outdoor lessons in, can be used to enhance the learning experience. Yes, it's it's interesting to think about that because, you know, um, during the summer we were in deep lockdown and so we were doing all our lessons remotely. Um, and I think in some senses that that could actually be um, an element of what we're talking about now, because, you know, we had children who who were actually accessing learning from all over the all over the country. Um, and you know, if you're on a portable device, for example, you know, you have the opportunity to, to relate to your teacher directly, you can kind of create small group learning. So, I mean, it'd be really, uh, this is thinking on the hop, on the hop now, but it'd be really fascinating if you could, as a teacher, set them off on almost um, a scavenger hunt um, and keep a check on them because you could, <laughs> because you can, um, you can keep in very close contact on a on a on an iPad device, you know, um, and see what they're finding out that they can take photographs and you can respond immediately to that. Um, I mean, we have done lovely lessons outside when we've when we've looked really carefully and done um, observational drawings, for example, um, just, you know, lying on the tummy and, and looking at things in different scales um and you know we've used it to play games but but i think um at the moment with the with the planter project for example um we've sent a little team out with a set of chalks to go and mark things directly onto the ground so they've got that one-to-one -one experience and and they and they can start to to, to ask uh, colleagues friends other pupils opinions and come back with feedback from that so so there, yeah some suggestions there <laughs> so it's very much a, a sort of curated learning experience in which students mm. themselves uh, take some responsibility for, for what they do although there's always a supervisory element from the teacher rather than a sort of uh, dictatorial or explicitly mm. didactic that this is what you need to know your times tables or your uh, grammar and punctuation, all those things that, quite frankly, most students find a little bit tedious, although most of us do uh, eventually absorb that. Um, but do you think that this uh, uh, puts a great premium on uh, designers, and perhaps, Chris, you could come in if Melanie wants to say a few words first, on uh, uh, dematerializing the boundaries between inside and outside space and making them flow much more uh, easily uh, together? Um, do you want me to start? <laughs> yeah, if you'd like to start, um, then perhaps Chris can come in. Yeah. Um, well, I was just thinking that, you know, in, in some ways, the, the curator, curatorial uh, process is, it's very enjoyable because um, the pupils, once they realise that that's the way they can operate, they have huge investment in what they're doing. Um, but I think there has to be some underlying principles, you know, that you want things to be sustainable you want them because you know pupils are very very 
interested in in keeping things environmentally friendly um, and you want them to as we've been saying to have some community benefit so um, I think underneath that let's do this collaboratively I think you need some kind of structures that you that you work within and maybe mm. values yeah mm. yeah I, I think Jerry that the um that it has opened our eyes to that possibility um and yeah I, I think you know equipment that can be moved from inside to outside um that that change of environment can also you know heard from teachers keep um students awake so they're not in you know one of the things that's happened is that um students i think in all age groups have been in the same classroom or teachers have been moving you know and the, the fact that they're in that same classroom has sort of you know after lunch become very tired um i think we can you know look at how schools can have semi indoor outdoor spaces fully outdoor spaces indoor spaces um we've got a relatively mild climate here uh there was a there was a nursery by well also architects where it was mostly outside and they just gave all of the the, the children uh gilets you know and, and, and you know kids, kids like being outside so I do think it's it's dematerializing that that separation. Yeah, and I, I guess uh, we all know that uh, in order to get funding, particularly uh, for, for state schools, government funded schools, uh, you need to show evidence in order to unlock extra funding. And I wonder, Melanie, if there's any way in which you can measure improvements in students' performance or in other ways in which the school can operate more smoothly by adopting these sorts of approaches? Yes, it's, it's very interesting. We've been, using, um, we've been using a particular way of assessing our own progress. Um, and um, it's based on this, it's, I'm gonna just lean across. There we go, got the sheet. Um, it's called the Centre for Real World Learning's Five Dimensional Model of Creativity. <laughs> um, and what's so interesting about this is that it's what it's judging the pupils on is things like using intuition, um, challenging assumptions, tolerating uncertainty. And what's been very fascinating about the last um, couple of years, I suppose, when we've been collaborating closely with Almanac is how um, how the pupils have used these skills and been able to articulate how they have because I think if you can prove that they are they understand the 21st century skills that they will need in future life um, I think it's saying that you know for example design and technology and architecture can be incredibly valuable for them well, thank you. And I suppose the leading question that comes out of all of this is that um, would you have got these sorts of uh, uh, approaches and ideas without the crisis imposed by the COVID pandemic? Or uh, would you uh, have, uh, has that been a real stimulus to achieving uh, what, what you're uh, uh, trying to achieve and look like being able to achieve because of COVID? Um, shall I say a couple of words? I think, I think from our point of view, it's it's sped it up. 
um, I do think out of crisis comes ingenuity and often um, change. Um, so I think it probably whether whether it's whether it's caused it or just sped it up, I'm not sure. But definitely, it's it, there's a lot more conversation about those types of things. I I think this is a, an interesting. Sorry, Melanie. I was just going to say that some of the things that have come out of COVID are how much we can do without, you know, that you can have a much simpler time um, and the importance of connecting. Um, so as, as sort of key concepts for going forward. So forcing us to think about the essence of what education mm -hmm. is and how it can be best delivered. So I think it's probably fair to say that from this discussion, maybe something good will have been uh, come out of this sort of wreckage that COVID has otherwise imposed on, on us, and um, in particular, uh, for the purpose of this conversation, at least on, on schools and the education of, of children. Um, and I think what I'm taking away from this, and I don't mean this entirely facetiously, is that every school has a potential to become Plato's Academy, where a group of students gather around a tree <laughs> in the open air uh, to, to learn both between themselves and with a, an instructor. So thank you very much for that. That's uh, been a fascinating discussion. Thank you very thank much. You.